mystery or company or a little bit of pain sometimes. Uh, that's part of what life is. And we've been talking all, um, all month, February, the month of love. We talked about self-love and how we need that. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, not instead of yourself or more than yourself, but as yourself. Which means if you don't think much of yourself, you're probably not going to treat your neighbor very well either. And so we learn to love and value ourselves as children of God. And that enables us to love and value the other children of God. So loving others, that was what we talked about the second week. Relationships, from family relationships to neighbors to friends to spouses. When we see the truth of the God spirit shining in the eyes of every person, then our relationships automatically improve because it's really hard to be mean to God. <laughs> it's easy to be mean to each other when we forget that all of us are expressions of the living God. And so last week we talked about loving, um, loving God. How do you love God? Is God somebody that's up there going, hey, I need praise? No, loving God is about opening our hearts and appreciating all of the beauty and all of the wonder and all of the gifts that God is giving us at every moment and being in gratitude and being in awareness of what's going on. So this week, we're going to talk about loving life. And, you know, loving life is loving yourself. It is loving your neighbor. It is loving God. It's all of those things. And yet, how many of us get, in the morning, get up in the morning and say, good God, it's morning, instead of, good morning, God. <laughs> good morning, God. Um, it, it's hard. Life is hard. Life is hard. And um, we... we uh, try to find happiness at the same time that we are very cynical about what life is and what it means. Have you noticed that about yourself? Man, life is hard, life is, I'm not gonna use the words that are coming through my mind because they wouldn't be appropriate, but, but life is hard, that's the truth. And we, we often look at it with a kind of cynicism which makes it that much harder for us to experience the joy of life. And is life about 100% joy all the time? No, it is not. And whoever gave you that idea did you a disservice. Culturally, we have all bought into the idea that everything is supposed to be fine all the time, and if anything isn't, that means something is wrong and it needs to be fixed right now. What if from the day you were born, culturally, you were brought up to believe that life is hard and you will have pain, and pain is the price of loving. The greater the love, the more the pain when we lose the love. Pain is the price of living, and joy lives alongside and within and among and over and under the pain. They do not cancel one another out. They exist simultaneously. And so that's what loving life means. It means starting to look at life as, yes, this is hard. This is a, this is, you can look at it as, this is a very, very difficult course that I've come to take. And I'm gonna learn by failing most of the tests <laughs> and gradually getting better so that maybe by the final exam, 
I'll know something about life. And many of us, if I'm going to carry on with that metaphor, many of us skip classes all the time. <laughs> thinking, because we don't want to feel that initial pain. We don't want to feel what it feels like to take a test and maybe fail or not do our best. And so we just, I'm going to skip class that day. I'm not going to take the test. Guess what? It makes it worse for the next time. And then time after that, and the time after that. My mother told a story about how she was on academic probation the whole time she was in college. <laughs> and she had this one class that was always, and she was just a really good test taker, and it was always multiple choice. And she came in for the final after having skipped a lot of classes, and it was an essay test. And she just wrote her name on the top of the blue book and put it on the professor's <laughs> desk and walked out. She had nothing. She had nothing. You ever feel that way? It's like, uh, I have not been paying attention, and whatever I was supposed to learn to prepare me for this thing that's happening now, I got nothing. <laughs> Thankfully, we have a relationship with other people and with God, so the nothing never stays nothing. The moment we open ourselves to learn, we begin to learn. And sometimes whether we want to or not. So we spend... When we decide that life is supposed to be good all the time and feel, not just be good, but feel good all the time, because I would argue that life is good all the time in a very, very large sense, in the God sense, in the sense that everything is happening the way it's supposed to happen for the evolution of the planet. But from our, our little short sense here on earth, our short-sightedness. No, there's lots of bad stuff happening and there's lots of pain. But if we can believe that yes, it's gonna be painful, but it's for our good, and it's not supposed to be any other way from how it is. What if you got up in the morning and you felt great and you went, I'm supposed to feel this way. You just went with it. What if you got up in the morning and you were depressed and you went, well, maybe I'm supposed to feel this way because that's the way I woke up. And you just went with it. Rather than immediately going, I can't believe I'm depressed again. I'm so ungrateful. I have so much to be thankful for. I'm a blessed person. How come I'm so, how come I, you know, we do, this, we do this trip on ourselves. What if we just let it be? What if we let ourselves have space for whatever in life doesn't feel like it's working and call on our relationships, our love for self, our love for one another. We have people here to support us, y'all, and our love for God, which means we're never alone. We're never alone. So we can always call on all of that to help us in loving this life. And then we just enjoy the best of life. How many times have you been in a place where you were like really, really feeling joy and then you had this thought, uh-oh, this is going to end in 30 minutes. <laughs> and then suddenly you've taken away at least 30 minutes of your joy. Yeah? Ever been on vacation and the last two days of vacation going, huh, I'm going to have to start work on Monday, so I might as well not enjoy Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We do that. We tell ourselves stories that take us out of our joy. But what if we were able to, every moment of joy, go, this is mine, and I'm so thankful for it, and I'm going to revel in it. As the song said, revel in the sunshine when it's on your face. And then when winter comes, put a layer on. Put a coat on. Do what you need to do to help yourself get through the difficult parts. Yeah? 
So we love the best, we make space for the worst. And what if we were able to withhold judgment? What if we weren't going around all the time going, oh, that's good, oh, that's bad, oh, that's good, oh, that's bad. I know I've taught this lesson many times before and I keep teaching it because it's a fundamental lesson for how to live life on earth. And it's a lesson I need over and over and over again. That we, we go, oh, this is a good day because, this is a bad day because. You ever think about somebody who is in your life that you love unconditionally, regardless of what they have done or ever will do, you know there's nothing that can make you not love them. Does anybody have somebody like that in your life? What if life were like that? You knew that the behavior wasn't always gonna be great, <laughs> but the love was never ever questioned. That is God's love for you, for me, for us. And that can be our love for life. We stop judging. We stop judging because why do we judge? We want to know if it's good or it's bad so we'll know how to act. Well, what if we decide ahead of time that we're going to act in love whether it feels good or it feels bad? We're going to act in love. Then there's no need to even call it something, to label it, to judge it. And I think that's what Jesus was saying when he said over and over again, judge not lest ye be judged. Not because don't judge them or I'm going to judge you. God's going to come down and smite you and judge you. No, it's don't judge them because the measure with which you judge other people is the same measure with which you torture yourself. Amen. Yeah. We don't need anybody else judging us. We're doing a perfectly good job all on our own. And when we judge ourselves, we tend to attract people to us that are judging us and themselves in the same way. I often explain my whole first marriage of seven years, I married really young, um, by saying that we were, we were in complete agreement. Neither of us thought very much of me. <laughs> and when I, had, when I was able to work through and realize my own value, um, I realized, oh, I don't, need, I don't need this in my life. And, um, and, you know, the way God works is that it, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. I began to attract people. When I thought better of me, I began to attract people who thought better of me and of themselves. And today I live in a world where I have some amazing people around me. And I have to work hard to be um, ready for that. I don't want to say to deserve it, but um, that's, that's too harsh a word, but to to truly be available and open to it and have the gratitude that it's appropriate for me to have at every moment for all of the good that's in my life. And so we can withhold judgment. And what makes us want to judge is we have a feeling. And feelings aren't facts. Not that they're unimportant. A feeling will, tell, will point you to a fact, right? If you're feeling, uh, this situation is not good for me, not just this situation is painful, but it's not good for me, then that may be information for you. You question it, you ask it. What is it about this that's not feeling good? Is it grief? Well then, nothing to be done but just grief. Is it fear? Perhaps I need to expand my understanding of the situation so I no longer need to fear it. My understanding of the situation being that God has got it. It's all held within these everlasting arms. 
If it, is it um, danger? Are you feeling danger? Well, then maybe you need to do something different right away. And that is discernment, but it's not necessarily judgment. It's listening to your feelings, feeling them, not ignoring them. How many times have you had a feeling like, oh, this isn't going to be a good situation, and you walked into it anyway because you didn't want to make a scene or because somebody was expecting you to and you didn't know how to explain why you were leaving? Anybody ignored their own gut and then found out, oh, there was a reason my gut was telling me that? We ignore our feelings at our own peril. We listen to them, but we don't believe them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to read a quote by um, Byron Katie. Since the beginning of time, people have been trying to change the world so they can be happy. Change the world, the whole world, so I can be happy. This hasn't ever worked because it approaches the problem backward. What works, what we need, is a way to change the projector, our mind, rather than the projected, what's out there. It's like when there's a piece of lint on the projector's lens. We think there's a flaw on the people on the screen, and we try to change this person and that person, whoever the flaw appears to be on next, but it's futile to try to change the projected images. Once we realize where the lint is, we can clear the lens itself. This is the end of suffering and the beginning of a little joy in paradise. Clear the lens. Everything out there is projected. None of it is my business because the only thing I can do anything about is right here. And so if I'm seeing a really, really foggy picture, maybe I need to take a handkerchief and clean my vision. If I'm seeing um, black and darkness everywhere, maybe I need to take a look at what black and darkness I'm carrying around with me from place to place. And that is what Jesus said too when he said, don't, <coughs> don't try to take the lift out of your brother's eye when you've got a big log in your own, <laughs> right? Don't try to take the spit out of his eye when you've got a big law a big log in your own. We do that, though. It's easy for us to see other people's faults, and it's easy, as, easy for us to know exactly what they should do to change them. <clears throat> I know what you should do. You need to. Ooh, two sentences that if you start that in my presence, I automatically go, <laughs> don't tell me what I need to do. <laughs> That's my humanness. You might be right, but I don't want to hear it from you. out. Okay. Maybe it's a new battery. Maybe I should just use the microphone. Yeah. That in and out thing isn't working too well. Okay. There we go. Now I won't be going in and out. So this idea of um, <clears throat> Cleaning, what, what's happening here? Because, well, there's a story. I'm going to tell you a family story, which, you know, I hate to take up your time, but it's kind of funny. In our house, we get what, there's a new word that's been coined in the last few years, or I've become aware of it in the last few years, called hangry. 
that when you're really hungry, sometimes it comes out as meanness or anger. In our house, one time we picked Erin up from school. She was about six years old, and she was just gripey the whole way. It was like, what is wrong with her today? And we get in the house, and our big dog Mickey meets us at the door, as he always did, and he was about her height, big old black lab, like, <laughs> and she went, Mickey's a bad dog, and walked past him. And I took her to wash her hands and took her in the kitchen and made her a meal. And before I even got Bob and my plate ready, I looked over at her and she was leaning off the table going, Mickey's a good dog. <laughs> Mickey's a good dog. So in our family we say, is Mickey being a bad dog right now? <laughs> Need something to eat? Because it had nothing to do with Mickey. Mickey was just Mickey. Mickey is always just Mickey. It always would be. But how we feel about Mickey has to do with how we're feeling inside. And yes, that means we have to take care of our physical bodies. When we're not taking care of our physical bodies, it's really hard for us to make good decisions in our minds and hearts. So check the projector. Check the projector. And here's some words of wisdom. I don't know. My default is that I think I know, so I have to remind myself a million times a day, maybe I don't know, maybe. I have to put the maybe in front of it. Maybe I don't know, I could be wrong. You or they might be right. I need some help. I need some help. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And no. Thank you. We have to learn to make our yeses yeses and our noes noes. Very, very important. And Jesus talked about that too. That your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. Don't go around swearing and sputtering. Just make sure you mean it when you say yes and you follow through on your commitment. And make sure you mean it when you say no and don't start Getting, letting the edges get all blurry about what you've decided already that is not good for you. So what I know is that if I'm not feeling peaceful in my life, I have to ask myself, when I wake up in the morning and I just feel not peaceful, I think, what can I do to feed my peace? What can I do that feeds my anxiety? I can tell you, turning on the news will feed my anxiety Calling the person that I put off all yesterday calling because I knew it was going to be a very difficult conversation is not a way, a neat when I first get up, to feed my peace. I need my 12 minutes, at least. My 12 minutes of remembering who I am. Remembering who I am with God. We talked about last week, for those of you who weren't here, that um, neuroscience has said that 12 minutes is what it takes 12 minutes of silence, 12 minutes of seeking God a, a day actually begins to create new neural pathways. 12 minutes. So what if you gave yourself 12 minutes of quiet before you jumped into the rest of it? And if I'm feeling discontent, I have to ask myself, am I feeding my greed? Am I comparing myself to other people? Am I comparing my home to other people's homes and my car to other people's cars? Am I comparing myself? Because the, 
the opposite of contentment is greed. I need something. I need more than what I have. So we think about what is it that we really need. Maybe we just need those 12 minutes. If we are lacking joy in the moment, we have to ask. I have to ask, am I feeding my fear? Am I telling myself, yeah, this looks really bad, and there's no way out of it. I've already tried to figure it out, and there's no way out of it. Because me, I know better than what God knows, <laughs> right? I think I do. There's no way. Am I feeding my fear? Am I feeding my anger? That shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't do that. She shouldn't do that. They should not do that. Well, guess what? They are doing that. Whatever it is, they are doing it, which is proof that they should be. And it doesn't mean that I condone it. It doesn't mean I think it's a good idea. It means I understand that I can't do anything about them, but I can certainly go to work on this, on my projector. If I'm looking at other people who aren't kind and they're a lot meaner than me, does that mean I don't have to work on my own ability to be kind? No, it does not. And no matter how big the log in my brother's eye is, if I have not cleared my own lens, I have nothing to say. So am I feeding my joy? I feed my joy with compassion. I feed my joy with trying to understand that everybody is having as hard a time as I am and some a whole lot harder. I feed my joy with presence, with being in the presence of the divine and knowing that as the truth for myself and with presence with other people, being truly present with another. I feed my contentment with gratitude and with openness. I feed my peace by doing what is mine to do and then moving on and not fretting about what's undone that wasn't mine to do. So here is what I came to in looking at this this week, how to love life, loving life. What if we are just instead lifing our love? What if love is who we are and we just have to figure out how to get our life to fit with that? What if love is who we wake up as in the morning and we think, okay, how am I going to live life on this? Well, I'm going to make a cup of coffee. That's the first thing. <laughs> Whatever it is, can you, can you just like let that roll around in your brain for a minute? I'm going to try to life the love that I am today. I'm going to try to life the love that I am today. Because when we believe that life is something that's happening to us, then we put ourselves in the victim mode. We, we become passive and we expect something, something out there to do something for here. And yes, we get to ask for help. But we have to understand that help is to help us to be our best selves, not to change us or fix us in some way. Because the very spirit of God lives within each of us. So our job isn't to try to fix us. Our job is to try to get us out of the way enough that the love we are can shine through. And what if we start believing that life is happening for us? Not to us, but for us. For our good. I can't see what good this is right now, but I trust that I'm going to learn something from it if I allow myself to learn something from it. If it's happening to us, we're the victim. If it's happening for us, maybe we're the special guest star. <laughs> 
We can just, you know, give and see what we get back. But what if life is just happening? Is what it is. Life happens. Then we get to give because that's who we are. And that we become, by doing so, we come to understand that our measure of giving to life is exactly the measure of our joy. Think about that for a minute. Not your glee, not your schadenfreude, but your actual joy feeds life. You are giving something to life every time you experience love and beauty and joy, every time you share any of those things, anytime you choose compassion over judgment, anytime you choose peace over anxiety, anytime you choose love over anger or fear. We give because we come to know that that's who we are, not the other way around. When I get enough love, then I'll start being loving. You already got all the love you needed the day you were born because God gave it to you. Now the only question is, how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it to life, love? Or at least to love life? Thank you. So we'll just take that into prayer for a few minutes. So I'm going to just invite everybody to uh, sit still. Feel your body. Be present in your body, wherever it is. Maybe do what you need to do to make it comfortable. And as you breathe, just notice you're not breathing. You're being breathed. If you're not doing anything to stop the breath from coming into you, then it just comes. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to deserve it, whatever that means. It is the gift of life freely given to you in every moment because you are a precious child of the universe. You are the Christ spirit in human form. You are God, living God's self in humanity. And so when we realize that we're being breathed, we can start to ask questions like, what other ways, like holding my breath, which keeps the breathing from happening, what other ways do I try to stop the gifts that are trying to be given to me or to live their lives through me? that when I close my heart to someone because I have judged them I have closed my heart am I keeping God out of my heart or limiting God's activity in my heart 
if I think I might be, then I consciously open my heart to the activity of God in me. God, as you're breathing me, I ask you to love the world through me. to be full of that spirit of God if, as I allow myself to know that that's really the truth. Then I begin to understand that if I can't see it in myself, I am cutting myself off and so it is my job to open. to spend some time in the quiet allowing God to be God in me. And then when I look at others outside myself, if I feel or if I see lint and fog and logs and dirt, then again, I can say, oh, what is impeding my vision? Because I know God sees all of these people as perfect and beautiful. So how can I withdraw the gates that I have placed between me and the world that I see? How can I clean the lens Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye be single, if you focus on the love, then you will see the love. And so in this moment today, we don't judge ourselves. And when we stop judging ourselves, we are able to stop judging others. And we just focus on the love that we want. giving it, on feeling it, on sharing it, on being lived by that love. Allowing God to imbue this human life in this body all of the love that is and was and is meant to be. this moment we simply say I agree I consent I consent to God's love doing the work of love in me and through me and maybe I go home and take some quiet time maybe 12 minutes or more recall this feeling of allowing the love of God to flow freely. And I allow that to inform my life, my actions, my beliefs, my thinking, my vision for the rest of today. 
and maybe tomorrow I do the same thing again. And I will find that I am a lover of life. God created this life to love it. And I'm learning to be a lifer of love. Carrying out a life sentence of unconditional, whole and beautiful, perfect and divine. And so it is. Amen.